0: Welcome to Ministry in Motion, a program where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. I'm Derek Morris, and our guest today, experienced in
1: calling people to decisions. Sean Boonster, it's great to have you with us. Well, I think it'd probably be, it's great to be here. It'd probably be more accurate to say that I've tried it a lot, because I don't know who would ever define themselves as genuinely, deeply experienced at calling people, um, there are core principles that remain the same but you know every time you do it it's an adventure so
0: well i'm looking forward to our discussion today and actually we're going to start with that awkward phase of the learning process i i think back to to when i first began in ministry And by the way we have pastors and lay leaders who are joining us for ministry in motion and i had very little training in how to call people to decision for example a decision to accept christ or to accept a bible teaching and so I had all kinds of anxieties, yeah. even though I knew it was something that God wanted me to do. So, so let's put you on the spot as we start. When you were first getting started, what were some of the anxieties you had to deal with? As you said, God wants me to call people to decisions. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh my goodness. I used to avoid altar calls or put them off as long as I could or water them down so they wouldn't be too difficult. Um, I, I, there was huge anxiety. I think that's the thing that scares people the most. I mean, what if I have an altar call? And I, you know, the night before, I'd envision myself, tomorrow I'm going to have an altar call. I'm going to call people to make a decision for Christ. And what if I stand up there for 25 minutes and I'm begging and pleading and nobody comes and I'll look like a fool? Well, and that's probably a
0: common anxiety. Uh, I can relate to that and say, well, did I fail if, if that happened? How did you get past well, that?
1: A few things. Um, did Noah fail? Did Noah fail? You know, uh absolutely not. Noah was faithful to what God asked him to do. He called the world to repent, and at the end of the day, he only had his own family. Most of his appeals fell on deaf ears. And when I saw that, I thought, okay. Then in John chapter 6, Jesus explains his mission, tells everybody who he is, and it says that most of his disciples turned around and walked away that day. And That's I thought, right. Well, if Jesus had people not decide, it's probably okay if I have people not decide too. And then I started to recognize that if I'm worried about looking like a fool, the attention's completely in the wrong place. I'm
0: thinking about my reputation or me. Yeah.
1: What does it matter in the kingdom of heaven one day how great I looked giving that appeal? Right. Um, As a matter of fact, if you're worried about how great you're going to look or how well it's going to come off personally, um, it might not come off all that well because an audience instinctively knows whether you're being sincere or not. And the number one thing that appeals to people is just be a real human being. You know, if, if I'm worried about you, I I I'd say, Pastor Derek, I'm worried about you and I need to talk to you. And and then you're listening. We're friends, we have a relationship. Um, but yeah, there is anxiety. And, and I think there should always be a little if you do understand what's at stake. We are talking about people's eternity. We are talking you do want it to go well. So you shouldn't be anxious about how you look, but you should be a little there should be just a little bit of edge always. I've always said if, if you don't have any anxiety, any nervousness anymore in evangelism, it means you don't care anymore and it, you mm. should probably get out.
0: Mm. Now, another anxiety I, I think would be fairly common would be, what if I don't know what to say? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I was at a conference one time and they were talking about calling for decision and the person gave a workshop, which was quite theoretical. And at the end, a pastor who was not uh, just straight out of seminary said, you know, I wonder if we could just make this really practical. What do you say? And he didn't get a very good response. And I thought, do people have that fear? I'm going to stand up and, and just know, not know what to say
1: yeah you know i actually remember scripting out appeals i would script them out i would write them out and then i would kind of keep that somewhere i could see it and follow it and those went okay because the lord always honors our attempts and our efforts but if you get too theoretical about it you kind of miss the point evangelism happens in personal relationship i can tell you um, you know if i hold a month-long evangelistic campaign i can tell you about a weekend just about And there's always a few surprises but i can just about tell you who i'm going to baptize after a week or ten days it's the ones i have a relationship with and as i spend time with those people i'm in their homes i'm talking to them in my evangelistic venue i go to their house i'm on the phone with them before too long you get a sense of what needs to be said during that appeal because you know the people you're appealing to and nobody scripts an appeal to a family member to come and help them you know move hey i need you to come over and help me move i don't script that i know you i know what's going to get to your heart if you know the people, a lot of the fear disappears and then you speak from the heart. If you love them, you're going to appeal with the right words and the Lord will take care of
0: You know, that's a powerful thought that you're focusing less on what you're going to say and more on the relationship with that person. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Now, here's another anxiety. Uh, what, I'm not going to know what to say. Also, I, I don't want to manipulate people. Yeah. This fear that I'm going to come across as a... Uh, uh, yeah, a
1: used car salesman. Yeah,
0: something like that, a soap salesman. Or and and some...
1: apologies to the, to the car salesman so out there. There's some very good
0: to... ones. But, yeah. you know, this idea, ooh, I, I want to
1: appeal to people, but I don't want to manipulate them. Yeah. You can't fool people into the kingdom of God. You just can't fool people. And most people are wise to it if you're trying to manipulate. Um, there's a world of difference, though, between persuading—you know, almost thou persuadest me, Paul. Almost thou persuade. Right. We definitely want to persuade people. Manipulating—if you try and play a trick to get somebody to sign a contract—they're not going to enjoy that. You know, if you—if you manipulate somebody into buying a car that they didn't want, when they drive off the lot, they're not going to be happy with it. They'll always—they'll have buyer's remorse. So I definitely want to persuade people, but I don't want to manipulate. And there's a huge difference. A huge difference. So we we, we're honest,
0: and we say we all have some anxieties. Yeah. Um, We uh, we are afraid, but uh, that people won't respond. But we need to get past that and say it doesn't matter what people think or how we look. Right. Um, I want to care about the person more than the words I'm saying. If you know your audience, you're always going to have an appeal. And and in, in terms of the manipulation, again, I guess if my heart is really. Desiring the best good for that person, uh, I'm going to speak in a way that that is is persuading but not pressuring.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think another key thing is to understand what's actually taking place. Now, here we do want to get a little bit theoretical. What actually takes place in people's hearts in the persuasion process? We need to understand who it is that's actually doing the persuading, who our audience actually is when we're making an appeal. And uh, I've discovered a few principles biblically that absolutely take all the pressure off of making appeals and getting decisions.
0: And I'm so excited that in the second part of the, of the program, we're going to talk about that, kind of walk us through the process, yeah, absolutely. set our anxieties aside, and realize that God's at work, yeah. and we want to join Him there. And we hope you'll stay with us. This is an important topic, calling people to make a decision, a, a decision that could affect, affect them for eternity. and And we're going to look after the break at that process and how you can learn to join God in what He's doing. Our guest today, is Sean Boonster. If you've not heard of Sean, Sean has devoted much of his life to calling people to Christ. We'll learn some important lessons right after the break. More Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today, Calling for Decisions, and our special guest, Sean Boonstra. Sean, we're glad to have you with us. Oh, it's a lot of fun to be here. You know, it's great to hear that you've had some anxieties, too.
1: I still uh, have them, all the time.
0: But setting those anxieties of no one responding, or what will I say, or will I f- people feel like I'm trying to manipulate them when I really just want to persuade them, and, and channeling that energy, letting that energy guide me under the guidance of God to really join God in what He's doing. Let's talk about
1: that uh, god at work joining him there yeah absolutely you know it's um it, it's in john 5 i think verse 19 and you're going to get the booster paraphrase i'm going by memory and i'm never word perfect i i need to learn from you scripture songs would help me stay word <laughs> perfect but john five nineteen, jesus essentially says i watch for where my father's working and i go work there yes and when i caught that i thought wait a minute he doesn't have his own plans, and he's the Son of God. He watches for where his Father's working. In uh, other places, Jesus said, look, the fields are white to harvest. He's looking around and saying, look, the people are ready. They're there already. Pray the Lord sends in, you know, reapers to harvest. Right. And, uh, and when I'm starting to piece all these things together, watch for where God is working. There's already something ripe and ready to harvest. It occurs to me, my goodness, I'm not in the community to convince anybody to be interested in God. I'm in the community to find those who are interested in God and it's a radical difference. We we often talk now about um, postmodern secular society and how we have to uh, retool ourselves to appeal to the secular mind and I agree we definitely want to speak a language that the audience understands but I struggle with this concept of reaching a secular audience basically based on what Paul says. Let Let me see if I can bring it up on my iPad. The iPad I love my iPad, but it, it causes me to struggle once in a while in finding my Bible text. Here it is. It's in 1 Corinthians two, and uh, and verse thirteen. Paul says, "These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches." Paul is saying, "Look, I don't use my own wisdom to teach." Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. So, here's the scenario. Jesus is saying, I go work where my Father is busy. The fields are white to harvest, and Paul says, if somebody is not spiritually minded, there's nothing you and I can do at all to make them interested in spiritual things. So, if you start to do the math scripturally you start to notice there's a pattern. God makes people interested in spiritual things. It's God that gives the gift of repentance in, uh, is it Romans 2? Right. I'm like the Apostle Paul. Somewhere it is written, he keeps saying. He never gives (laughs) chapter and verse. God gives it. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. The Father draws people to himself through Christ. He does the drawing. He gives the gift of repentance. It's God that converts the heart. We don't have that ability. What we've been told to do is go and find those that are converting right my goodness does that ever change the landscape of how we preach how we teach how we relate to people how we enter a community how we make that appeal suddenly I realize if I'm making an appeal a public altar call I don't have to convince anybody to be interested in God I'm not there to persuade them I'm appealing to those that already hear the voice of God in their hearts to act on what God is telling them. And that's powerful. It changes the way you structure an appeal.
0: And now you've told me that sometimes it's quite apparent to you who those people are. There may be times, though, that God surprises you. Oh, yeah. That He's been <laughs> at work in a life and you don't see that at all.
1: Yeah, that does happen. Um, You know, I I said earlier that that sometimes I can tell who's going to make a decision. A week or ten days into a month-long campaign, I can kind of tell who's going to make a decision based on the relationships that I have with those people. Uh, And I spend all day making relationships with those people, even if there's thousands. But sometimes, suddenly we discover, God is at work in this guy's heart. I can't see it, but he comes every night. Something's going on. Right and this is the importance you know i love preaching for twenty five nights and changing the topic each night we might talk about death and the pain of death and god's plan in death or we might talk about baptism or we might talk about forgiveness and you change the subject every night it's kind of like putting a different lure on your on your fly fishing pole and and, and putting it out over that audience and they all come up for something different there's so many facets to the Mm -hmm. gospel and to christ and suddenly you see Bob, who you didn't think had a hope of, of making a decision, he bites. Something's happening. Yeah. You know, I, I had a Muslim one time in a meeting uh, come in on a night when we were talking about what happens in death. And the Bible's version of death and the afterlife is a little different than, than a Muslim belief. And I thought, how's this going to go? And that was the night she came to the surface and grabbed the lure. It was her first meeting, Christian meeting ever. And she came with tears in her eyes. She said, if that's how God handles something as Mm. tough as death, Mm. I want to know how do I become a Christian. I want to become a Christian now, tonight. And you just had to say
0: God's at work here. God's
1: at work. Clearly, I didn't do that. Right. He brings them for the right moment, the right time. Powerful. And so I I preach as broadly as possible. I don't get too narrow in my topics because I want to cast as many lures out over that audience (laughs) as possible. So let's, let's say you're going to speak
0: tomorrow, and you're planning to speak uh, about Christ. Yeah. Um, so you stand up to speak, and you've got thir- 30 minutes. Oh, I always take an hour. Oh, but take an hour. You give to... me 30 minutes, I'm going to take an hour anyway. <laughs> do you wait for the last five minutes to, to make
1: your appeal? How does Let's walk through a process now. I used to. I used to wait to the last five minutes, and then you find out, boy, I've got a lot of work to do in these last five minutes and the audience is caught by surprise they didn't know there was going to be a big appeal and so i start the appeal from the moment i say hello i decide what is the decision i want this audience to make what is the conclusion i want them to come to and what's the action i want them to take and from the moment i say hello we start working on that appeal and I always have one-subject sermons, no three points in a prayer. You know, that, that might be fine some days, but one topic. What's the one thing I want them to understand? What's the one decision I want them to make? And I pepper it all the way through the sermon so it's not a surprise in the last five minutes. In fact, I know we, we, we need to take a break, but I, it's, in fact, sometimes I tell people up front, tonight you're going to be asked to make a decision before we're done i'm going to ask you to make a decision because you cannot read the bible you cannot come to christ without being faced with a decision you can't do that you're going to have to decide something tonight and here's the decision you're going to have to make i tell them up front Then i preach that decision i keep returning to it every five or ten minutes that night and then i make the appeal they've had an hour to think about that decision that they're going to make so you, you're very open with them. Oh, yeah. That's the opposite of manipulation. Oh, yeah. There's no bait and switch. I tell them why they're there and what I'm hoping to accomplish, and then I go for it.
0: We'll talk uh, after the break about uh, some preparation maybe you've made before that time, because if you're joining God in what He's doing, you're expecting something supernatural to happen. Oh, there's no question, yeah. Uh, this isn't just a uh, technique. No, that's right. But there's some other things we'll talk about in terms of how you'll actually call them at the end of that message uh, right after our break. Well, I hope you're being blessed today as you're learning about calling for decision, maybe a little surprised that you'd stand up and say, I'm going to give a, an appeal at the end of this message. And uh, I'm praying that God would bless you even as you're listening. What a privilege to join God in what He's doing, to see Him work in miraculous ways. We'll learn more right after the break with Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry of Motion. Our topic today, Calling for Decisions, and our special guest, Sean Boonstra. Sean, great to have you with us. was great to I be said, here. I said I'm learning so much today, and I'm, I'm just so excited because uh, I'm setting aside the anxieties that I think a lot of us have, pastors, lay preachers, uh, joining God in what He's doing and, and actually
1: seeing God work yeah, in, in supernatural ways. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I can't think of anything I enjoy more. I mean, yes, there's some anxiety, especially in the beginning. There was a lot of anxiety. But it's in evangelism where you actually see God move. You know, people ask me all the time, Sean, where's the God of miracles that we read about in the Bible? Where's all this stuff we read about in the book of Acts? Well, I guarantee it's actually going on. Right. But God doesn't come to you with that stuff. You need to go where God is doing that stuff if you want to see it. And he's doing it on the front lines of evangelism. He's doing it on the front lines of bringing people into the kingdom of Christ. And if you're there, I mean, it's addictive. You get to see it. And you get to see a reprobate. Here's a guy who was beating his wife and drinking and and he can't hold a job. He gives his heart to Christ. Wow, that's the biggest miracle in the world. Now he's a dad and a father and a wage earner and he's the elder in the church. Oh, my goodness. I mean, how could you not want to watch that happen?
0: You talked about at the beginning sometimes even being very uh, up front and saying, I'm going to make an appeal to tonight or today, whenever you're speaking. You're, you're letting people know that there's, there's an important decision that they need to make and that you're going to invite them to make. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You don't want to fool the audience. You can't fool them anyway. Audiences are smarter than we think they are. And so if you think that, if you tell people, look, it's going to be a lecture, and then you surprise them with a decision, well, they kind of feel a little bit hoodwinked. I, I'm just honest up front, and I tell them, look, there's going to be a decision tonight I can't preach the Bible without you making a decision about the Jesus who's in this Bible and if you're honest about it I mean the number one thing that sells is sincerity and and, um, if you have to fake sincerity you might want to find another line of work but um, sincerity sells nobody wants a religious know-it-all you can be honest about who you are the mistakes you've made the fact that you are also a sinner Uh, you can talk openly and honestly And people sense it after a while that this guy's just warts and all, he's telling it the way he understands Jesus and that's the number one ingredient in leading people to Christ. Let them say, this guy's a sinner just like me and look what Jesus has done in his life and I build the appeal based on that. How do you let them know during the message? You talked about speaking maybe
0: for up to an hour. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to keep it in an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Do you let them know during? Do you kind of bring them back to the fact we're going to make a decision? How do you you kind of keep uh, them thinking about the decision during that time before you come to your close?
1: Yeah, I I don't think I come back every five or ten minutes and say, don't forget. Right, right. At the end of tonight, we're going to have a decision. Um, But I definitely sometimes say that right up front. Not every time you know, but uh, sometimes if there's a card that they want to fill in, yes, I make a decision for Christ, I'll give them the card at the beginning, I'll show it to them. But if the decision is, let's say the decision is for that night, you know, I always have one subject in mind, is there a God? Will I choose to believe there is a God? That's the only thing I want to do. I use prophecy to do that, Daniel 2 is powerful, I I mean, God gave us all that prophecy is, is for a reason. I keep coming back to it. I just keep asking the question all along: Is there a God? If there's not a God, who gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream? How in the world did that? I just keep coming back to the question, and every story you pull out of the Bible illustrates the question you're asking. And you keep, keep coming focused, back. Then. You keep asking that question. Right. And then you ask it for real at the end. And you say, you know, this story was written down not just for an ancient audience, but for you. God knew you would be here tonight at this moment. He knew you would be reading this story. This is not just for everybody else at this moment. This is for you personally. He knew you'd be sitting here. And the question comes to you tonight, is there a God and will you choose to believe in him? And, and you make that appeal based on that.
0: And one way you said they could fill out a card, what fill are some other things they could do?
1: Never miss an opportunity for a decision. If you have an altar call every night, it becomes routine. People predict it. They get their coat when they smell it's coming if right. they're a little nervous. Some nights it's just, hey, every hand bound, every eye closed. I mean, we've heard a lot of ministers do that. Yeah. If you tonight want to trust... That there is a God and you want to explore more. That's such a simple decision. Would you like to explore more? Just with your head bowed, would you raise your hand and let the angels in heaven see that you're interested in learning more about this God? That's a simple thing. Raise the hand. Sometimes have the audience stand. If you'd like to take a stand on this for Jesus tonight, just stand up where you are and pray with me. Sometimes it's a full-on altar call. Sometimes it's an easier altar call. Do you have something? Oh, this is this is key you want to get people in the habit of saying yes to Jesus so there's a little appeal of some kind every night hand raise stand up come to the front if you're a little nervous about an altar call the first time around say is there something in your life that you need special prayer for Mm. come down here and I'll pray for you I will wait right here and pray for you you get them in the habit of walking to the front get rid of the nervousness about getting up and walking down there and it helps your own anxiety too. get them in the habit of saying yes 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 on little things every night and then when the big question comes Are you going to give your heart to Christ and be a part of his church? That one comes easily because they've made 50 decisions already.
0: Yes. I noticed when you talked about raise your hand that you kind of raised your hand. That's very clear. I hear with each of the requests that you're making that you're very clear about how they might
1: respond. Yeah. That makes it easier for you. S- spell it out. I mean, that's something everybody can do. Raise the hand. And people say, why do we have to do that? I've seen some people actually critique it, saying, why do you have to make people do something? Well, it's, it's really easy. We don't want to condition people into non-response. Mm. You know, we can watch violence on television and become numb to it. Watched 18,000 murders by the time you're 18 and it doesn't bother you anymore. If you give people Christ every night and never ask for a decision, you're teaching them not to respond to Christ and so you've always got to give them an opportunity do something raise your hand stand up come forward act on what you've just heard so that you're conditioning people to respond and say yes to Jesus
0: resources uh, we've just got a minute and a half left um, how did
1: you learn did you did you watch other oh preachers yes.
0: Yeah, what is number some, number two, one,
1: I followed evangelists around for a long time. I went and just listened and listened and listened and watched and, and picked it up. I followed evangelists into the home. I listened to them make their appeals. I read the great evangelists that are no longer with us, Spurgeon, Moody, uh, the writings of Ellen White in the book Evangelism, phenomenal. Um, just Today I, you could go on YouTube and you, could, you uh, wouldn't yeah. even need to follow them around. Yeah, I know, I know. I like to still get down into that hole because something Mm. happens when you get people together. Mm. But yeah, YouTube too. YouTube will give you some really bad appeals too. You can watch some of the ones that really don't Don't go well. But watch it, immerse yourself in it. Watch those that it's clear God is using and be discerning. Go to those that God is clearly using and watch what God is doing through them. And when when you join God in what he's doing and people respond? Uh, Oh my goodness, I just, it, 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 it gives you shivers. You know, Every time opening night comes, I'm thinking, why did I agree to this? This is a <laughs> lot of work, and then I watch people make their decisions for Christ, and I melt inside i 'm thinking there is a God, He is real. Look what he 's doing in people 's lives. Amen
0: thanks so much for joining oh, us today. How much Sean it 's
1: been to be here. Yes,
0: and thank you for joining us too here on Ministry in Motion. What a an important topic calling people to make a decision. Of course, the most important decision is to trust Christ as personal savior and Lord. And as a pastor or a lay preacher, to have the joy of joining God in what He's doing. You can learn more at our website, Ministryemotion.tv. Join us again for our next program. And we're praying that God would use you to be a blessing to those around you.